Hello, and welcome back to Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Whoa, I don't know if you have been keeping up with environmental events, but 2022 ended with quite a freaking bang. We saw new laws passed, treaty signs, and agreements made at three important international conferences. So to kick off 2023, I wanted to share with you the key takeaways from the Big Cast Safety Act, COP19, COP15, and COP27, and how these decisions will impact the foreseeable future. First, let's discuss the Big Cast Safety Act. In case you haven't heard of the Big Cat Safety Act or missed episode 65 with Sarika, this act was proposed by Representative Mike Quigley on January 11th, 2021 in response to Tiger King, the absolutely absurd Netflix series that brought to light the horrors of private Big Cat ownership in the United States. The act's goal is to ban the private ownership of big cats and hybrids and make it illegal to offer public interactions with big cats, including cub petting, which is one of the main drivers of this industry. I know I personally understand the desire to want and pet all over a cub, but most people that participate in close interactions with cubs don't realize that as soon as that little baby is deemed unusable for photo ops, it is usually sold off, kept in less than ideal conditions, or as proven on Tiger King, euthanized. Additionally, interacting with a deadly predator, I mean, come on, think about this, can have serious negative consequences. In a press release on Mike Quigley's website, Sarah Amundsen, I hope I pronounced that correctly, president of Humane Society Legislative Fund, shared that, quote, since 1990, more than 400 incidents involving captive big cats have occurred in 46 states and the District of Columbia. Five children and 19 adults have been killed and hundreds of others injured, some losing limbs or suffering other traumatic injuries, end quote. There is literally almost nothing good about the private big cat industry. And finally, the U.S. government has taken action to address this. On December 20th, 2022, the act was officially signed into law. Any person or facility that currently owns a big cat has 180 days to register their animal with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or face a $20,000 fine and up to five years in prison. Those are some pretty serious sentences if someone is found guilty of illegally owning a big cat. I'm curious to see what happens next and if anyone will actually be fined and or jailed for owning a big cat, but at least now there is uniform law across the country that should, in theory, be enforced everywhere. Considering that there are more tigers in the state of Texas than in the wild, this is a massive victory for big cat conservation. I've been watching this act for a while now, and I'm so relieved it's been passed. If you want to learn more about big cats in the U.S., then I recommend listening to episode 65 with Sarika, soon to be PhD, next after wrapping up this episode. Next, let's talk about COP19, COP15, and COP27. First, I want to differentiate between all of these freaking conferences. 
Even though they all have COP as their acronym, each is hosted by different organizations with very different goals and outcomes. If you already know about all of these conferences, then fast forward a minute or two, but just in case you were as confused as me about reading all of these conferences, then keep on listening. Okay, COP19, and that is capital C, lowercase o, capital P, 19, is the 19th meeting of the Conference of the Parties to CITES. And again, CITES is the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, and is hosted every two to three years. The goal of this conference essentially is to review current and proposed trade regulations of plant and animal species and hopefully get all parties on the same page. The last conference was hosted in Panama on the 14th through 25th of November of last year. COP27, and that is capital COP, all capital, 27, is also an acronym for Conference of the Parties and is hosted annually by the United Nations. Member parties are legally obligated to, quote, take voluntary actions to prevent dangerous anthropogenic interference with climate system, end quote, as stated in the international treaty called the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC for short, which I don't actually know if that's shorter unless you're typing the whole thing out. The goal of this conference of the parties is to, quote, report on progress, set intermediate goals, make agreements to share scientific and technological advances of global benefits, and negotiate policy, end quote. Last year, it was held in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, on November 6th through the 18th. Lastly is COP15, and that is capital C, lowercase o, lowercase p, 15, and this also stands for, as you guessed it, Conference of the Parties to the Convention on Biological Diversity. This meeting is also known as the UN Biodiversity Conference and is hosted every two years. The goals of this conference are to create international agreements for, quote, one, the conservation of biological diversity, two, the sustainable use of the components of biological diversity, and three, the fair and equitable sharing of the benefits arising out of the utilization of genetic resources, end quote. COP15 was hosted in Montreal, Canada from December 7th through 19th of last year. Phew, now that we have that out of the way, I'll share with you what you should know about what was decided at each of these conferences. First, I want to chat about COP19, which, as a reminder, is the CITES Conference on the Trade of Flora and Fauna. In episode 80, I did a deep dive into Zimbabwe, Namibia, South Africa, and Botswana's request to sell their stockpile of ivory and rhino horn, which was to be voted upon at this conference. Depending on your opinion of the issue, it was either a good or bad thing that the conference denied their request. The four countries' main argument was that they lacked the funding to keep up with elephant conservation goals in the increase in human-elephant conflict. They argued that selling their ivory would both raise funds for the country and ease conservation demands, such as the constant surveillance needed on the stockpile. The parties, however, said that the four countries did not provide enough evidence for the need to sell their stockpiles and that allowing the sale of ivory and rhino horn would result in a massive spike in the illegal trade of ivory as seen in the 2008 sale. 
Now Zimbabwe, Namibia, South Africa, and Botswana threatened to leave CITES and set their own rules for the sale of ivory and elephants. Ooh, that's a lot of drama with some very serious consequences, and I'll keep you all posted on how this plays out as decisions are published. Otherwise, the main story from COP19 was the massive addition of new trade regulations for more than 600 animal and plant species, notably sharks and rays, tropical timber, glass frogs, and Asian songbirds. From the many articles I read, experts are most pleased with the addition of hammerhead sharks, raekwum sharks, and guitar fish, since these species account for around 95%-ish of the global fin trade. Speaking of sharks, I'm just going to drop a little hint here. Next week, we're sitting down with this show's first shark expert, so definitely tune in next week to hear her. Yes, she's a freaking badass woman. Incredible story. All right, next, let's discuss COP15. COP15 was also full of lots of excitement and lots of drama. This year, the conference was co-hosted by Canada and China, which I found surprising and fantastic since we never hear anything positive about China and conservation. As COP15, a landmark deal was reached to halt biodiversity loss by 2030. The program is called 30 by 30 with the objectives of protecting 30% of natural spaces within the next 10 years, restoring 30% of the planet's degraded ecosystems, and reforming U.S. $500 billion worth of environmentally damaging subsidies. All of this by 2030. This year took four years to negotiate, which of course the pandemic didn't help at all, and two weeks for an agreement to be reached at the conference. 30 by 30 is being touted as a huge success and should, in theory, do wonders for nature. But just like you, I was asking, how exactly is this going to work? As usual, the biggest hangup for many countries at the conference was money. Where are the funds going to come from to support such ambitious restoration and conservation goals? It's a legit question. The countries in attendance agreed to create a new UN fund called the Global Environmental Facility, specifically earmarked for biodiversity, and rich countries agreed to give U.S. $30 billion to the fund by the end of the decade. Right before the deal was signed and announced as complete, several African countries voiced their displeasure as the deal did not create a new fund separate from the UN fund. Brazil, China, India, Indonesia, and Mexico received the most support from the GEF, and some African countries wanted a bigger piece of the pie to help them reach their conservation goals. But that didn't happen before the Chinese president announced the deal as complete. Ooh, the drama! The articles I read said that the parties announced that they would discuss additional funds in the future. And as always, we shall see if that happens. Continuing down the drama train, two countries have failed to sign the agreement. The U.S. and the Vatican. Vatican, whatever. U.S., I was like, say what? Why did the U.S. not sign this? Again, I was initially shocked by this, considering all of the Biden administration's aggressive environmental initiatives they've published since he took office. Just last year, President Biden also announced the U.S.'s own 30 by 30 pledge with the goal of restoring and conserving 30 percent of America's land and water by 2030. OK, so if the rest of the world has the same goal as the U.S., why didn't negotiators just sign the treaty? <laughs> to me, that would make sense, but that's not what happened. 
is because of politics. I won't do a complete deep dive here since we have another conference to talk about, but essentially the U.S. doesn't want to be a part of the CBD and allow other countries to have a say over what the U.S. can and can't do or force the U.S. to share technological advancements, knowledge, etc., etc. GOP lawmakers are pretty much against any and all treaties, including this one, turns out, and so the U.S. is creating its own ambitious conservation goals. Get this, I found this super interesting. President Bush had a huge hand in writing a biodiversity treaty in the 80s that he didn't then sign, and President Bill Clinton signed a treaty during his term, but didn't receive any support from the government. So the U.S. isn't giving the CBD the middle finger. Lawmakers and treaty negotiators are doing what they feel is right to protect the U.S.'s autonomy. Maybe one day the U.S. will join the CBD, but that day is not today. Okay, moving on to the last major conference of 2022, COP27. If you recall from 2021, COP26 was praised and talked about for many months for all of the progress that had been made for countries agreeing to do their part to ensure the planet's temperature doesn't surpass an increase of 1.5 degrees Celsius. Well, since that conference, Russia launched a freaking war against Ukraine and greatly disrupted, well, everything. One of Vladimir Putin's weapons has been to use Europe's reliance on Russian fuel against them which forced countries to scramble for other fuel sources, including coal. No joke, some countries are going back to coal for energy. Needless to say, several critical political relationships are in shambles, which subsequently has had huge consequences for worldwide climate commitments. So what was accomplished at COP27? Instead of furthering progress on political agreements, this year the parties mostly focused on climate financing and mitigating losses due to climate change for poor and developing countries. The UN put together a handy-dandy list of the five key takeaways from the conference, which I will share with you right now. First, a new fund was established to assist countries that are hit hard by catastrophic climate disasters such as drought and floods. Where the money will come from and who benefits from the fund are yet to be determined, and hopefully these details will be solidified by COP28. Second, the goal of keeping global warming under 1.5 degrees Celsius was reaffirmed and governments were asked to present even more aggressive plans at the COP28 summit next year. In other words, the plans as they are written will not do the job to reduce emissions enough by 2030 to keep warming under control. So countries have been tasked to go back to the drawing board and submit better proposals by 2023. Third, Accountability is a huge objective moving forward. I guess the UN Secretary General asked the UN Climate Change to develop a plan early next year that will ensure businesses and institutions are held accountable for their pledges, removing the chance for greenwashing. Yes, love it. I didn't find what will happen if someone violates their pledges, but I'm assuming that will be published once the plan is developed. The fourth takeaway is another climate finance commitment called the Sharm el-Sheikh Implementation Plan. Essentially, if developing countries are to properly invest in renewable energy, they'll need the funds to do so. So, this implementation plan says that in order to transform the current global economy into one that is low carbon, wealthy countries will need to invest 4 to 6 trillion US dollars every year. 
Talk about sticker shock on that number <laughs> so much. Again, how this plan will play out will be determined by next year's summit. The fifth and final takeaway from COP27 was all about mobilization. It's time for governments and institutions to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And so now countries are encouraged to begin aggressively implementing their carbon emission reduction plans with assistance from the UN climate change. Okay, wow, that was so much stuff. If you're still here with me, thank you for taking the time to go through all of these vastly important events that wrapped up just a few weeks ago. Now that I'm heavily invested in these issues after taking a considerable amount of time researching each item covered today, I'll be sure to do update episodes in the future, maybe individual episodes for each conference to allow deeper dives. I don't know. We'll see what I decide a year from now. If you want to check out the 20-something, almost 30 resources that went into creating today's long episode, be sure to check out the show notes at rewildology.com. If you have a specific question you'd like to discuss about today's topic, head on over to the Rewildology YouTube channel and submit your question in the comment section of today's episode. Some of you have reached out and asked how you can support the show. Well, I am happy to share that there are several ways to do so. Some zero-cost ways include subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming app, leaving a rating and review to boost the algorithm, which will present the podcast to more listeners, signing up for the weekly Rewildology newsletter at the website, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and following the show on your favorite social media app. If you'd like to financially support the show and help us keep these stories on the airwaves, consider making a monetary donation at Rewildology.com or purchase a piece of swag to show off your Rewildology love. At least 10% of proceeds from this show will be donated to our conservation partners. I'd also like to extend a special thanks to Heather Valley, the show's audio and video producer, for making the show sound and look awesome, and Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the Focusrite gear we use to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out Nature Podcasting under the Resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we'll rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. <laughs>